Welcome to Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Bondi Radio. This is Talking Buildings, a Sibsey Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus, the Sibsey ANZ Regional Chair and the host of Talking Buildings. As always, I'm joined by the ever-smiling and cheerful co-host Sharon Pistonji, Sibsey BDM. The sun is shining and it's blue skies outside, and we've certainly got the weather with us today, Sharon. For sure, Paul. We're broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach with the sun shining, which is fitting for the session, where we're focusing on doing good for our planet and the people on it. Fabulous topic there, Sharon, which will really appeal to all our listeners. We all have a duty of care when designing, specifying or constructing new and retrofit buildings. We really do need to think of the children in respect to the legacy we are leaving on this planet and the future generations for many, many generations to come. So who do we have joining us on this exciting session, Sharon? In this session, we're joined by Kate Harris, CEO at the Good Environmental Choice Australia, a.k.a. GECA. Kate will elaborate shortly on GECA, whose goal is to grow as a leader in sustainable production and consumption by fostering new partnerships while still maintaining its role as the only not-for-profit multi-sector eco-labeling program in Australia. The organization aims to help companies in all sectors of the economy with their sustainability journey to drive meaningful change and celebrate those engaging in best practice. Thanks, Sharon. While researching for this session, I was really interested to learn that prior to joining the GECA, Kate spent six years at the Centre for Sustainability Leadership, including the last two years as a CEO, and is also the founder of consulting firm Future Ready. In both roles, she has led organisations that coach individuals, businesses and communities towards improved sustainability leadership. Kate has studied, ha uh, studied hard and some glowing academic qualifications tucked up her sleeve, including Masters of Social Ecology, Executive Coaching, Innovation for Government Policy, Certificate for and Workplace Training and Assessment, and a Diploma of Applied Science. With a diverse background in the performing arts, executive coaching, cultural change, and organizational development, Kate draws on many elements to ensure a collaborative, innovative, and effective outcome in order to gain strategic advantage. She's a renowned leadership coach, strategist, facilitator, and an experienced group dynamic practitioner. Kate also finds time to devote towards contributing to the board for Australian Life Cycle Assessment Society. Plus, she's a non-executive director of the Living Future Institute of Australia. Thanks for joining us to record this podcast today's session, podcast session, Kate, and welcome to Talking Buildings. Thanks, Sharon and Paul, for inviting me down to Bondi and getting involved in this great initiative. It's really great to help promote and educate the built environment. Um, and it's such a fantastic location down here to do a podcast. Really looking forward to talking about doing good for our planet and the people on it. Wonderful. Thank you. Brilliant. So thanks again for joining us in this session, Kate. And um, perhaps we can take a, a few steps back initially for the benefit of those tuning in, just to maybe if you expand a little bit on the what, the why, and the how of the non-for-profit organisation that is the GCA, GECA, plus elab elaborate a little on your role. So GECA, also known as GECA, um, is really a not-for-profit organisation that's determined to make um, less impact on people for people and planet here in Australia. So we're a third-party certification eco-label and passionate about making it easier to make best practice choices for products and services. Mm -hmm. 
So my role as CEO is really to drive the strategy, which is very much built environment and what's relevant for big business, as well as increasingly looking at the importance of advocacy for consumers. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Kate. So it's clear that um, Geeka's mission is to drive sustainable, sustainable consumption and production by developing the eco-labeling standards for materials and products. But what exactly is eco-labeling and how does this influence sustainable standards or even link it in with the likes of Greenstar, Homestar, Lead, Briam, Well and Neighbours? So an eco-label sounds like it's something really simple, <laughs> but actually yeah. it's kind of like that simple mark that is aiming to um, clearly identify something that actually behind it is really, really complex. So a lot of people think they know what an eco-label is, but by its true definition, it's an ISO 14024. And that means it's a multi-criteria label that looks at the whole hotspot uh, approach to a product or service. So it goes from extraction of raw materials right through to a take-back system and end of life. Um, and everything in between. And I think there's often confusion. So we would often um, like relate to other single issue criteria. So fair trade, people are aware of, um, FSC for instance, which are looking at one element of a product. And what the 14,024 tries to do is look at the whole aspect of the life, all of the impacts. Um, and Gecker's label is a little bit different in that we do environmental impacts as well as social and fair working wages. Wow. And yep. then declare what's a good product or service by using the label at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Big job. <laughs> so how, how that fits into Greenstar, I guess that's yeah. where we're best known at the moment and, and other schemes, is that if there's a product with um, a Gecker label on, then that goes towards um, full points in that category of materials for things like Greenstar. Um, Homestar, we have more in New Zealand. Uh, mm -hmm. It's less here. Yeah. And lead, we do, again, the, the products move towards, um, towards points within the lead system outside of the US, but you have to be a US label within um, the states to be able to go to a lead project in the states. And well and neighbours are certainly, um, again, very much around well-being indoor air quality that's very relevant to our label. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Neighbours is all about energy. So um, the use of our products does help towards neighbours having a low um, energy product and yeah. insulation and things like that, but it doesn't count specifically to neighbours. Okay. We were discussing before recording this session the bigger picture in terms of global procurement and United Nations environmental programs. So how much influence does this have in dri driving the governments around the world on procurement policies and how does that relate more locally here in the ENZ region? So to me, Paul, this is one of the most exciting things that's actually happening in the world in regards to true outcomes for sustainable a future. Okay. Um, so United Nations Environment, mm -hmm. they realised that the ISO 14024 eco-label is there to design to have that complexity in a simple label to show what is a good product or a good service. Um, so they see that as the more effective and efficient way to scale up globally into making easy decisions for our environment. Mm -hmm. um, they are supporting development of an eco-label in um, all countries of the world and um, we're working with the United Nations Environment to help uh, grow the capacity and capability of those eco-labels. The other exciting part of that project is um, green government public procurement policy, where actually a lot of countries now are mandating that the government spend has to be on eco-labeled products, which 
that transforms an economy. As soon as the government starts yeah. mandating <laughs> um, that it has to be eco-labelled, mm -hmm. uh, the market moves. Industry knows there's a, um, a market for it yeah. and they can invest in their infrastructure to make better products for yeah. the environment. Um, and then it makes it more accessible for business and then consumers as well. Kate, it sounds like we're on an exciting journey and really interesting to hear how the United Nations have created 17 transformative sustainable development goals in 2015. Can you elaborate on a little on that? So the SDGs, as they're affectionately known, is again, I think, a really exciting, um, true workable goals that everyone, well, majority of the countries have committed to. I saw them launched in the Ukraine, which was fascinating. Um, in Australia, we're just having some meetings with the United Nations, um, the Global Compact team um, are engaging federal government here in Australia and Australia is committed to doing a report um, at the United Nations in July and an update, basically a baseline of Australia going, you know what, we are signing up to these goals um, and every country has the opportunity to create targets that are relevant and meaningful for their own country. Um, our label very much speaks to um, responsible consumption. Goal 12 would be the biggest one. Yeah. And then there's also innovation, cities, um, and also climate change. Secondary ones also from our label's perspective are things like um, no poverty and actually ensuring that there are fair working wages into those materials that we're using. It's great. We are very lucky in this economy to be able to build green buildings and, um, you know, have that conscious consumption. Mm -hmm. But we also need to understand there's a whole supply chain that's behind that. Um, and we shouldn't really just be looking at, at green uh, solutions. We also need to be looking at social solutions and not okay. causing extra yeah. problems. So the SDGs really look at all of these things. How can you actually answer and respond to the most um, to have the biggest impact? Okay. So in compared to other countries, where does Australia and New Zealand sit on that spectrum of adopting, um, progressing towards these goals? We are doing well in terms of a baseline and I'm seeing business very much starting to integrate that into how they do business, where they see their um, core impact that yeah. they can have. It can still sit in a, a CSR exercise, just okay, um, yeah. how can we do better on the side or with our staff, but actually it's not about that. It has to speak to your core business. If your core business is still creating harm to environment or mm. to the people around us, then actually we're kind of not there yet. We yeah. do need to look at our core impacts of our core products. So that's the call to action of Global Compact as well is what's that next level of your business of how you can drive change. Uh, so look, Australia's on its way, New Zealand is on its way too. Yeah. I think we can all do more, particularly around big business okay. um, and driving it into our core offerings yeah. and really also seeing where there's side effects as well. So if we just focus on one goal, we actually may miss out on something very important that has a side effect in the other. Okay. Um, so really looking at it as a deep strategy and not just a communication tool is where we're at. But hey, government's committed. They yeah. are presenting a baseline. And there's a lot more momentum than the, the precursor of the, uh, the Millennium Goals. So okay. it is an exciting time for Australia and for business and government to work together. Yeah, okay, great. Um, but in your, in, sort of in your opinion, where do the challenges kind of lie and the trends that, that will strengthen and dem the demand for sustainable development over the next 15 years, both globally and sort of locally here in our region? So we are known as leaders in the built environment in Australia and it's very yeah. exciting going overseas and, um, you know, being recognised for that in Australia. 
but we can do more. And where I think we can do more is in the material space. Okay. Um, I'm very lucky in my work at Gecka that I actually see what sits behind our standards and materials. And really, if we knew what was in stuff and the effect, um, we would all be wanting to certify, get certified products in our supply yeah, chain. Yeah. There is a level of assurance um, that comes with using eco-label products and yeah. services. So that's where we're at now, that sense of assurance of how do I know my supply chain's doing the right thing? How do I know they say they're using what they're using and, and not carcinogens or, or child labour? I mean, these are really significant yeah. questions that from a risk perspective actually bring people down. Um, so I think that next level is looking at it from a supply chain and assurance and very much materiality because green buildings do have a lot of materials. Yeah. Things like our recent cement and concrete standard, huge amount of emissions. Yeah. Um, so Green Building Council of Australia is certainly moving that way as well and really pushing embodied emissions of a whole building, yeah. um, not just energy. And the more you know about materiality, the, no, the more you know about how important that really is. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm seeing the trend is really understanding embodied energy, materiality of everything that we're purchasing yeah. and the risk and assurance that comes along with that. So that's, that is built environment. It's also big business and reputational risk in their own procurement and how to navigate that. That's where I see the focus that's of the really next 15 years. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Kate. In a previous podcast session, we focused on doing the right thing in terms of ethics. So if we take a moment to focus on the ISO um, 20400, the world's first international guideline for sustainable procurement, it emphasises how businesses that embrace sustainable procurement are making purchasing decisions that meet an organisation's needs in a way that benefits them, society and the environment. But how much of an influence or need for change does this have in relation to companies to sort out sustainable procurement, not only for their products and services, but also for their operations? You know, I think the ISO 20400 is so timely yeah. because I think we think that procurement is all sorted in this day and age, but uh -huh. actually it's so complex. People are trying to navigate um, the money, the spend, where are their risks, what's the risk of the material, what's the risk of the provider, um, where in the world have those products come from. It's actually really challenging and people don't have time um, and often it is very uh, economic driven. So this guideline is really trying to embrace all of that and, and and it, again, it is a guideline. It's not a certification. It's not mm -hmm. saying that we're perfect. But hey, if we don't start and yeah. if we don't say that we're actually trying to move towards that and constantly improving, then we're still going to be sitting in sort of the paralysis of not knowing what to do. So this guideline steps that out from environmental perspectives and social and ethical perspectives yeah. to say, look, wherever you're at, you can do better. And these are some ways to help you. And eco-labels come out as um, a top priority, really, in terms of assurance around a credible ethical and environmental products, mm -hmm. which is really exciting from us, for us from a global perspective. Yeah. But it's also acknowledging that not everyone's perfect and they're all starting from their own baseline, which mm -hmm. I love. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So that leads us ni nicely into um, GECA's Positive Procurement Pledge which is a unique opportunity for organisations to publicly demonstrate their leadership by committing to their use of purchasing power in a way that will do good for the planet and the people on it. So can you describe what the driver is to get involved and how everyone listening can get on board? So the Positive Procurement Pledge is something that Gecko is very passionate about because it is, we do a lot of work with procurement side. It looks like we're um, certifying materials and products and services, but actually, mm -hmm. 
we're really linking that supply and demand and so many um, conversations don't connect between supply and demand. There are manufacturers and there are procurers, yeah. but they're often not chatting about what they need, what supply, mm -hmm. um, what are the impacts of costs. Um, so really the, the positive procurement pledge is is creating a channel for those organisations who are wanting to improve, who are using the 2400 guideline yeah. and, and starting to declare and being transparent about where are they now, where do they want to go, how can we help them and how can we share that information into supply and manufacturing in Australia and beyond. And I think that's it is about sharing that information and connecting people into capacity building in mm -hmm. sustainable procurement in Australia yeah. without it having to be use of a gecko label. We are encouraging eco labels, but not necessarily just as. Yeah. This is about we want to help capability building of people moving. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for a little fun. I changed the dynamic of the session. So, right over to you, Sharon, for the rapid roundup. It's time for Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. Thanks, Paul. It's time to put Kate in the hot seat for some random and intriguing questions. When you're ready, Kate, here we go. <laughs> okay. So, what makes you laugh and how important is a good sense of humour? Uh, my dogs. My dogs <laughs> make me laugh. Used to be my kids, but they're all grown up now. So, my dogs definitely make me laugh. Um, even other people's dogs, I've found the joy of having fur babies. Um, <laughs> so that definitely makes me laugh. Uh, sometimes I also laugh about the absurdity of us not thinking long term, yeah. uh, which is a bit more of a cynical one. So I had to come up with a, a, a more fun one as well. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would that be? Uh, well, my kids know that when I'm uh, a lot older, they need to feed me the chip diet, which is cheese and champagne and chocolate. <laughs> so, but out of those three, it would probably be cheese. Probably cheese. the most, the biggest food Ooh. group out of those. That's <laughs> Paul's nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Particularly the French stuff. <laughs> okay. And tell us three things mo uh, most people don't know about you, where at least two of them are true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I've come up with... Two, I'm going to have to think of my third. Uh, one was I was in The Matrix, um, mm. not that you'd see much of me, and my nephews think that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I also used to be a clown doctor, and I used to be an opera singer. There you go, there's three. Wow. A clown doctor? I did. What's a clown doctor? What is a clown doctor? A clown doctor is a therapeutic performer that works in kids' hospitals. So that's how oh. I got into the not-for-profit world, actually. Oh, okay. so I used to be Dr. Princess Anesthesia Lovebug. I used to be... A clown party hostess <gasps> at McDonald's. We've got huge in common. <laughs> <laughs> there you Very cool. It. it was an awesome job. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you... Oh, what are you reading at the moment? Um, lots of board papers. I'm sorry. I'm one of those very <laughs> dull people that don't get to read. I do read the New Yorker magazine. Uh -huh. um, but other than that, I just find I have so much reading at work that I just tend to leave it there. So it's, yeah, it tends to be very nonfiction and board work. So nothing <laughs> exciting on my dresser. Oh, never mind. And do you have a favourite quote or a motto or a personal mantra or something like that? I do. It's do whatever you can to bring peace in the world. And I guess that's what I'm doing. And whether it was as a clown doctor or um, working with sustainability for people and our planet, um, that still mm. very much rings true. And they were my dying words from my grandfather. So um, something very meaningful to me and drives me, sometimes yeah. tiring and hard to achieve. Um, but I'm going to keep going for it. So do whatever make brings peace to the world. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Brilliant. 
Um, and what celebrity have you ever been told you look like? Although, if you've been in the Matrix, you really are a celebrity anyway, so I don't know. Mm, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely, definitely not a celebrity. Um, <laughs> I think it was a while ago. I don't think I've been called any celebrity, celebrity lately. Um, uh, Audrey Hepburn, occasionally, probably because of my eyeliner, for those who know me. <laughs> um, when I lived in London, they thought I looked like Natalie Imbruglia, and that was quite oh a while ago, yeah. but... And sometimes Kylie Minogue, but I don't get that because <laughs> she's a lot smaller than me in many ways. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, Audrey Hepburn, probably in a fashion, and, and that's pretty cool with me. Very cool. Um, finish this sentence. I'm happiest when... I'm in the bath. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and what world problem keeps you up at night? Um, I don't ever lose sleep, so that's a good thing. How nice. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I don't think I could keep doing what I do if it affected my sleep. Um, but certainly um, peace in our future um, yeah. and our sustainability is something really, um, yeah, that I'm concerned about but yeah. also uh, committed to being passionate about, about our potential to, to rise and, and, and make things better. Wonderful. And if you had time to take up a new skill, what would that be? I would love to do, oh, well, two things. Decoupage, although I sort of have an odd go at that. Um, what was that? Decoupage. What is it's that? It's like that sort of, it's, for me this is all upcycling, but decoupage is um, layering old papers over uh, and then with different layers of varnish to create yes. new projects. And I'd, I'd love to that. do it in like a... Um, On furniture and things like yeah, that. Yeah, like street furniture and yep. up, actually upcycle stuff um, and maybe make some interesting political commentary on the new upcycled furniture could be cool and yeah. I'd love to do horse riding because I always think I'm too old and too scared but I actually <laughs> think I'd really love to achieve that yeah oh wonderful and where's the most beautiful place you have ever been um it's actually my farm or my partner's farm so um to me, it's just looking at a horizon yeah. and really not having... It's not very good for the built environment, is it? Because there's no built environment at <laughs> <laughs> the farm. Um, <laughs> but it's actually the opposite. I guess it's in working in um, the built environment space, to me, actually getting out back and connecting yeah. into nature and horizons and big skies, mm -hmm. um, for me, is my favourite place. Wonderful. And where do you see yourself in five years? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think if I ever, I, I'm often asked that question and every time I look back five years and go, where did I think I'd be? Yeah. I really am not where I thought I'd be. So um, I certainly didn't think I'd be a CEO of organisations the last few years. Um, I'm a passionate change maker. But yeah, it's just um, how I'm affecting change at the moment. So I yeah. really don't know what the five years will bring. <laughs> yeah. And if you could offer your younger self some advice, what would that be? Um, keep trying to change the world. Yeah. Um, and that you can make a difference. Wonderful. And the most famous person that you've ever met? <laughs> That's a tricky one. Um, I'd have to say, uh, and I still call her, but Princess Diana. Um, I had a former life as a nurse and I was very blessed to work in the hospital that she would come in at nights um, and it was all very secret at that time that she was there and really one of the most beautiful women that I've 
ever had wow. the pleasure of being in her company. Was so that here in Australia? Or? No, it was in London, actually. Yeah. yeah. So um, just a huge heart and care and gentleness and authenticity about her. So, um, But no one spoke about her being there until after her death, which I think is actually another way to show how much everyone wanted to honour her yeah. privacy and... Um, how much care she brought to patients there. So, um, yeah, that's that was probably my my most famous person. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it comes with a bit of sadness. Mm. Yeah. Did she influence you in any way? Um, I think just the importance of um, being truly yourself, mm-hmm. um, and even with vulnerability, that that's okay. So I guess I went into then teaching authentic leadership and transformational leadership for sustainability, but mm-hmm. um, she really embodied being authentic and vulnerable uh-huh. and how powerful yeah. that is. Yeah. So I was, I was very honoured, really. Beautiful. Cool. And what is one personal change that you have made to your daily life to reduce your carbon footprint? I bought a hybrid car, and that was a huge challenge for me because I had to do the whole... <laughs> I had to do a whole LCA kind of thing because I'm the embodied energy in the car and was it a good thing? And I had a really old car that I was rubbish for, but it was a bit of a petrol guzzler, but I loved it. Um, it was an old Pathy Pathfinder. <laughs> and um, so it was a real big thing actually yeah. to get rid of it and think about the science of it. Like, was this a good car to get and lifetime of the battery and what are they going to do about recycling <laughs> the battery? So, but I love my uh, hybrid car. So. Oh, wonderful. I wasn't quite ready for electric, but that might be down the line. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Kate, for being such a good sport and those candid responses. And Paul, back to you. Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. Thanks, Sharon. I'm always impressed with the rapid roundup as you never know where it's going to take us. Kate, I have to say, never in a million years was I expecting that response that you were involved in a small role in The Matrix with Keanu Reeves. You didn't actually sort of go on to say what you actually did. Was it uh, just a bit part or was it your... It was just a bit part. Yeah. Probably one of the least exciting roles. But anyway, my, as I said, my nephews think it's the most exciting, but <laughs> it really wasn't. <laughs> awesome. Did you, get some, uh, did you get your name in the credits? Uh, Hattie, do you know what? Yeah. I've never even watched the movie, so <laughs> I can't even tell you that. I just remember it was shot all night in a lift. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, with some reasonably famous people there, but all night in one lift was in a, a lift. little hardcore. Okay. Was that here in Sydney? Or <laughs> it was, was yeah? yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Okay, well, that has, um, that's got one of the most uh, unexpected insights and uh, such a fabulous claim to fame. We're rubbing shoulders with a movie star here, Sharon. Okay, right, let's move back into the serious questions and the theme of our podcast session revolving around doing good for our planet and the people on it. So, Kate, in in your introduction, we briefly touched upon how you'd recently joined the board for the Australian Life Cycle Assessment Society. So, congratulations on that. Um, You're also a non-executive director of the Living Future Institute of Australia. So, uh, how important are these organisations to you, and how much does this influence your role as the CEO of GECA? So, um, ALCAS is a a new appointment for me, Mm -hmm. and I think that is really uh, strategic and important in terms of GECA and where we're going. Eco-label is and always will be a a key um, premium product, if you like. It's it's best practice, and we're not prepared to negotiate that. But what is useful around life cycle assessment is actually the data and moving the market and being able to be transparent along the way around that. So... Um, 
Alcaz, we've had long conversations with life cycle assessment and of course we incorporate that information into our standards. But this is really responding to market saying we actually need more data, we need this to move the market. So how can we do both? Mm -hmm. And so the board is really passionate about working with myself um, to look at what those possibilities look like in yeah. terms of moving the market forward in both because it actually needs LCAs and eco labels. Mm -hmm. In regards to the Living Future Institute of Australia, this is that's quite a personal thing for me. It does cross over into the built environment, but mm -hmm. I have to say for me, the love is around a future visioning of a society that works. It's not actually coming at it from a, a built environment perspective. Yeah. Although built environment has that absolute leadership opportunity of, of taking that and designing it and, um, and, and building a model that actually demonstrates that in terms of placemaking and community building. So... For me, though, it really is more around my passion for human potential and um, and having a, a place of beauty and vision, which mm -hmm. is, is some of um, the core values of the Living Future Institute. So yeah. that's why I'm on that one. Awesome. So um, are green building standards driving the development of safer materials and products? And how important do you think this is? Look, safety should never be compromised in that sense. So, mm -hmm. yes, we're, I said about environment and social and um, fair working wages, yeah. but safety is hugely um, critical to that. It's not an add-on. It has become integrated. But I'd also say environment and social isn't an, an add-on option either. I think yeah. we're to that level where we, we can see the future ahead and know we need to be smart in what we do and when we do it. So... Um, our label actually also incorporates safety. And what's important about that is not just the safety of the end user, it's actually safety of who makes it along the way. And we have a we have a furniture manufacturer who talked about seeing their furniture spray painted in China and mm -hmm. um, and finding out that the 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 employee was the most the highest paid in the organization. Really? And they asked why? Why is this person high? And said, because they live the, the least. This, this person is not going to be here in a few more years' time because of their health. Oh, wow. And at what cost are we prepared to, to accept a really fantastic chair here in Australia but knowing that maybe someone's only got a few-year life expectancy to make it? Uh -huh. And it, it's really the safety and health of everyone making it and mm -hmm. everyone using it that at us at Gecka is really passionate about integrating into the whole eco-label. So uh -huh. it is about the health of the end user. And when we look at our products in um, residential build too, the more you know, the more you want to <laughs> you want to know and look for the label for is sure. things like what materials do we just take for granted and actually uh -huh. don't even know what's in what we use. So yeah. health of everyone is incredib incredibly important. Can I just ask on that? Because I'm really interested when you talk about these labels and everything that it incorporates. Um, when you look at a label, can you see all the different aspects and how it's scored in different areas? Is that is that all kind of spelt out? It's not, and I think that's that's the gap in where we need to communicate better. I, I think eco-labels went too far. I think with all of that complexity and trying to make it simple, it missed out what does this actually mean. Yeah. Um, and where we're seeing in Europe is actually the trend to go back to having multiple <laughs> icons. So we're just actually stepping into using the SDGs as part of that. So aligning, you know, if you buy this product, what actual difference are you going to make in line with the SDG yeah. icons? Because it's a universal um, communication tool. Yeah. So I, I agree, actually, I don't think we do that well. Um, and actually, generally, eco-labels, I think, can do better in that. Um, and, you know, the more data we have, the 
the clearer we can say what difference you're making, the better it yeah. is. It yeah. does sound like there is a lot going on just to <laughs> get to that labelling stage. Yeah, there is. There is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Lemmy. Alrighty, so we recently discussed then um, with Angus McFarland from Langor Orc the theme construction excellence, revolving around prefabrication and modular building technologies. So um, from your pers perspective, Kate, how important is the use of innovative materials, unique construction methods, and the latest in sustainable ideas? And what's your thoughts on retaining pre-loved buildings? So I think modular and prefab is really exciting. Yeah. Um, there's lots of great stuff going on mm -hmm. and bring it on. You know, it's more efficient. It actually can help with the safety aspect we just talked about too. Yeah. And then moving in on site. Um, I will just say though, we need to be really careful on materials and come back to what is it made of? Mm -hmm. um, how is that impacting uh, planet or people in the manufacturing of that process. It's not just the efficiency or effectiveness of the end product yep. in installation. So, you know, I think that's the next level we need to go. I'm very passionate about the tiny house movement as well and, and upcycling. So uh -huh. um, I think we can, we're just ready for that next level of how to drive both of those things forward. In regards to pre-loved, I am a big believer on why aren't we upcycling buildings? I mm -hmm. overheard a conversation when we did our cement and concrete standard. Yeah. And this person said, well, why do you actually need, in terms of fit for purpose, it's doing its job, something else our label does. Why do we actually need cement and concrete to be more than 20 years? Uh -huh. Like, buildings don't last longer than that. People pull them down because of design and yeah. wanting a new look. And I'm mm -hmm. like, but yeah. why? That's just obscene amount of, you know, <laughs> to me, frugal innovation and creativity yeah. should be using what we have, just like the upcycling yeah. and doing something new and amazing and creative with it. Now, to uh -huh. me, that's more a creative challenge yeah. and where we need to go. And I know City of Sydney and others um, and, and some of the Better Building Partnership are speaking to that too and really driving that understanding of that next level of sustainability through frugal innovation. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, Kate, when I met um, Kim Andrews, um, the Geeka Business Development and Sustainability Advisor, back in September, she enthusiastically spoke about the Geeka Materials in Mind pop-up container, which sounded really intriguing. So, can you inform our listeners a little bit more about this initiative and how popular and informative this is at exhibitions? Do you know the Materials in Mind is? It just started off as a bit of fun in a way. Like we, it was um, uh, for a d in design festival, and uh, Paula, our marketing manager, said, "Hey, let's upcycle a container and recycle that and fill it with gecko stuff." Mm -hmm. um, but it really became this adventure on how beautiful something could look as well as sustainable, which I yeah. think is really important. Yeah. And also affordable in regards to uh, consumers and people who are renovating their own home, however big that is, can actually make choices that are good for people, good for planet, and also good for their family and their health. So what we did was we filled it up and retrofitted it and, and made this beautiful container, um, which then has an educational element. So people can actually pull little cupboards and go, you know, what is in a panel board? Why is a sustainable panel board important? And actually open the door and then find out about the materials inside it. How does that impact? And what a difference they can make yeah. by actually buying that. And same with flooring and paints. Um, so it was a really exciting hands-on way yeah. of people seeing what they can do and how they can do it better for them and their family. Uh -huh. Awesome. And wh where do you keep it? Where would you keep our shipping container? Yeah, well, actually, it's in um, Ramwick City Council. So okay. um, it's in the Ramwick 
Eco Park. Ooh, I should know the name of that. But um, it's up near the old barracks <laughs> yeah. and it's sitting there. But it comes out for different occasions. Uh-huh. And then some of our um, manufacturers who have Gecko certified products, mm-hmm. they use it as well as a pop-up um, to be able to show people that actually these are some of the Gecko certified stuff and this yeah. is the difference it makes for sustainability. But it does have a permanent home. Yeah. Um, so you can go <laughs> arrange to oh meet. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So what, what would you view as the biggest achievement or like the most positive impact Gecko has made? And you know what? What you're most most proud of? I think it's two things. Um, I'm really proud of the positive procurement pledge. I think it's starting to open a conversation um, of collaboration between supply and demand. That's a huge gap. Um, yeah. it, it's done better in Europe and America, but perhaps less so here. And we're really trying to meaningfully um, bridge that gap uh, and move manufacturing. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing I'd say is we were appointed uh, the Green Supply Chain Network representative for the Australian Federal Government and that is working with China and Korea who really understand, I mean, probably nowhere else like China understands the impact of on the environment and people's health yeah. um, of manufacturing of products and stuff and just the amount of stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, they get it, they've seen it, um, they're suffering from it and so really... Uh, working with China and Korea to drive best practice products and understanding the need for products to be able to sit in our economy um, across trade is something I'm really proud of being a part of with Gecka. Oh, good. Wonderful. So it's clear that you're extremely passionate about making change and (laughs) providing sustainable solutions. Um, Before we started recording, you touched upon your journey from a personal perspective. Do you mind sharing with our listeners your personal and powerful story, which is like your key driver in your passion for making change? Yes, that's probably the the motto from my grandfather. Um, So I was 15 at the time when he died and he said that. And um, I grew up with his stories of really understanding um, the waste humanity had created and actually that was through his experience in World War One. So he was an older grandfather and I was really lucky to grow up with stories of him really understanding how much harm we had created yeah. um, and the cost to so many people um, and so many countries. And so really his words around peace and making a difference have stuck with me through many different hats actually. So it really started off with nursing and um, trying to do it in a very transfa- transactional way in terms yeah. of healthcare, yeah. and then in performing with clown doctoring, um, and then moving. I, I met a very inspirational, uh, who was a medical doctor, who then became a climate change specialist and academic. And she said, "You know what? I realised I couldn't keep being a medical doctor and helping one person at a time, when I suddenly understood climate change and the impact of." what we were having on our people and our planet. Like, what was the point of making one person at a time better when there was this systemic issue that if we thought 100 years out was going to have dire consequences? Um, So that really moved me from looking at social change as a social ecologist to to broader environmental and sustainability. Um, She had a big impact on on your career path. Yeah, Yeah. she did. Uh, Probably my grandfather first, but, yeah, that realisation of... um, the one at a time yeah. ain't going to be enough, yeah. um, really drove me to look at working on a systemic level. Um, and that's really challenging. Working at a system level, 
I don't have that daily uh, feedback or joy or experience of supporting and helping yeah. someone on that. You see that, that result. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's such a long-term battle. And so that's where I just need to find joy in other things. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks. That's extremely powerful. And understand where your drive and determination to make a change is coming from, Kate. Finally, with such a fantastic career episode to date, could you please share with us some of your unique opportunities and experiences that led you to having such a successful career? Oh, it's such a <laughs> that's such a personal thing, actually. Really? <coughs> yeah, it is. Why is that? Um, because I'm not a career person. Okay. I'm a make a difference person, and yeah. so things have changed along the way. It hasn't been a calculated career, so uh -huh. I don't have that design in mind. Um, so there have been very personal things around, um, you know, things, personal challenges like my own health challenges, um, mm -hmm. a sudden divorce I wasn't expecting. All of those things actually have in turn created different career moves um, yeah. for me. So um, I think being core and true to my values and knowing who I am and who I want to be and what I'm passionate about and what potential I have um, to change the world are the biggest um, and more consistent things. What that looks like in a career has been totally different <laughs> the whole way along. Uh -huh. um, and as I say, is very dictated by um, yeah personal experiences and me trying to be true to myself. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a bit too deep and meaningful to end on, but sorry. Not that's at all. It's an honest answer. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Kate. It's really been inspiring and an enthusiastic discussion. It's also been a pleasure, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'm sure everyone tuning in will agree that it's been a thoroughly entertaining and education session. Thank you so much, Sharon Paul, for having me and allowing me to take part in the show. And it's been wonderful to be at Bondi Beach and speak <laughs> to you all. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Kate. Fantastic. A big thank you to our special guests in this session, Kate Harris from the Geeka, and of course, the delightful and ever-smiling Sharon Pustongi. So to wrap up, let's recap on a few of the key takeaways from today's session. It was really refreshing to hear about Kate and the fantastic team at the Good Environmental Choice Australia, or GICA, the only independent, not-for-profit advisory and eco-labelling national organisation in Australia, by providing solutions for sustainable consumption and production through innovation, education, training and advocacy, consult consultation and certification are doing. We also touched upon the key drivers and challenges globally, and Kate elaborated on how the United Nations environment programs are also driving government-mandated public procurement policies. Linking this in with the Green Building Councils and companies that are doing the right thing around building six-star Green Star and providing that as a competitive edge. Kate briefly touched upon how Green Building certifications have not been widely adopted in the residential market, but will be changing due to a greater force in health and well-being. We also looked moving forward, not just about the environment or just being about the social supply chain, to being about health and wellness, like the well building standard, and that's leading to more residential entry market of green buildings. Geeka's positive procurement scheme challenges businesses, government agencies, industry groups, and non-governmental organizations around the world to make a stand and commit publicly to developing and implementing a sustainable procurement policy for their organization. Sustainable procurement is about considering the environmental, social and economic impacts of purchased goods and services. Through sustainable procurement, your organisation can build resilience and become future-proof through increased efficiency and effectiveness. By taking the pledge, organisations are agreeing to develop, document and implement a positive procurement policy 
to govern all purchasing decisions by the 31st December 2020, if not already. So to find out more, visit www.gika.co or email info at gika.org.au or you can call the helpful staff on 02-9699-2850. We'd also like to express our thanks to our industry sponsor, ARBS, who have made all this possible. For those who don't know, ARBS is the Air Conditioning Refrigeration Building Services Exhibition, which takes place on the 8th to, t 8th to 10th of May in 2018. So be sure to get down there, it's a free event, and you can learn all about the latest technology, standards, and the best practice at the cutting-edge seminar programs held along the exhibition itself. If you attend one of the many seminars, workshops, or technical tours or tours, you can stay informed on topics and issues that are shaping and affecting our industry. If you want to find out more, please visit www.arbs.com.au. Please subscribe to our broadcast, where you can replay previous podcasts where we've explored and discussed incoming changes to legislation, standards, till we've tackled ethics, training and education, careers in construction, and we've also gone back to the grassroots level of the CSIRO project to enhance and encourage our future engineers of tomorrow at school level into the building service engineering. On our news page, you can also find out more about the topics and guest presenters of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about SIBSI, then please look up www.sibsi.org.au, where you can also sign up for our monthly e-news. Our show is broadcast produced by Sheena Alexandra and Keith Hodgson at Bondi Radio in the world-famous Bondi Beach. Talking Buildings is a Sibsi Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus. Thanks for listening. Join us for the next episode of Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Beach.